Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and, and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. Before I get in, obviously we're talking about elephant in the room, and I just need to acknowledge the big old elephant that's in the room, and that is tonight I'm talking about the theology of singleness while my fiance is sitting on the front row, okay? So I get that, I get it. It's a big old elephant in the room, but I must say we've been dating for a, a year, getting married in 52 days, not that anyone's counting, and uh and I, I'm 31 years old, turning 32 next week. So I would say for the majority chunk of my adult life, bar two low-key relationships, I have been single. So I've been given this opportunity from God to develop a theology around what singleness is. And my life experience has led to me forming some thoughts around singleness and, and what's God's idea for singleness. And not to throw your church under the bus, I'm happy to throw my church under the bus. Not one time have I heard a message on singleness. Not one time in, in 15, 16 years of being a part of the church since I became a Christian at the age of 14 has anyone stood on stage and given me a theology of singleness. But people have stood on stage and said, God will give you the desires of your heart. Or hey, if you just keep waiting, it'll happen when you least expect it, which I always hated. Or this one, which is just the worst, become a good gift while you wait. Like the whole meaning of your life is marriage or something, right? And so for 15, 16 years, I got to develop this theology of singleness. So I'm so excited, City Point Redcliffe, to share with you a few of my experiences, some insights that I've learned along the way, um, and hope that it will be an encouragement to you. But I, I wanna say this, that whether or not you're a single here tonight, this message is for you because it's not just the single people that need to understand God's thoughts or ideas or opinions on singleness. It's the married people as well because we are all a village. We are the family of God. And whether you're single or not, we are called to love and embrace and disciple those in our community who, are not, who don't share the current relationship status as us. So is it okay tonight if we all get on the same page as to what God's thoughts on singleness are? Okay, and I promise you, I will not tell you to become a good gift. I will not tell you that God has someone down the track because he might not. And I also will not tell you, hey, keep waiting. It'll happen when you least expect it. But what I will tell you is God's heart for the single person. Are you ready? Awesome. Why don't I pray and we will dive in tonight. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to firstly worship you in such a beautiful, genuine, authentic way tonight. I can already sense your presence is here. Father, I pray that your heart for every person listening to the sound of my voice tonight would be communicated to them through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you illuminate our hearts and our minds as we open up your word? God, I pray that your thoughts would train and shape our minds tonight, just as your love has trained and shaped our hearts. So we give you this night. We pray that you would fill it as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I just need to come closer. I feel like you guys are too far away. There we go. Has anyone ever been to America before? 
Yes, okay, good. So I lived in a place called South Carolina for four years and loved it. And in this time, I was doing ministry at a church over there. And um, as you do when you move overseas, you just gather the most beautiful community around you because you don't have your family close. And in this time, I grew a couple of best friend, like best relationships. And, and I was about 25. And so I watched them date their dream guys, get engaged, get married and start having kids. And, you know, as a single person, that's not ideal, right? When you're the oldest one, you're like, I feel like it was my turn first. God must have like skipped me. Not sure how that happened. Anyway, so I was trying to do the right godly thing and celebrate my friends who were going through these things that I wanted to be participating in at some point in my life. And one of my best friends, her name was Tara. She just had her firstborn baby and she was one of my closest friends and about eight years my junior. Okay. So I was like, what's the deal? Like, Christians just get married really young and start popping out kids straight away. And I was 25 and single and no prospects on the horizon. So her, uh, the birth of her firstborn child actually threw me into this, um, this moment with God where I desperately started crying out, God, like, when's it my turn? How many more friends am I going to have to watch go through this exciting thing when you know that that's what I want to do as well? And so I had this moment of just frustration and disappointment with God in the season of my life. And one of my other best friends knew what was happening internally in me, so she thought she'd cheer me up one day. And she bought me this beautiful desk for my bedroom that I could spend time in the Word just sitting at this desk. And on top of this desk was this little plant. Now, at the house that we were renting, we weren't allowed dogs or animals, anything like that. So I started caring for this plant like it was a living, breathing being, right? I was like, God, I'm going to just prove to you and maybe to myself that I have what it takes to be a wife and a mom. So this tiny little plant literally copped it, right? Like every day I'm like talking to this plant, I'm like dusting its leaves. It was a succulent and we know succulents are a little bit temperamental. So you don't want to give it too much water. So I'm like dropping little drops of water on it couple of times a day, like putting it in the sun. And over the span of like two, two and a half months, this plant is looking schmick. Like it looks just as good as the day when I got it, which for me is quite a miracle, right? Not a green thumb. And so I watered it too much this one day. And as I was pouring out my maternal nature on this little, this tiny little succulent, as I tipped it upside down, I realized it had a sticker on the bottom. And my heart leapt because I realized this little sticker is going to tell me what type of plant this is. Almost like my own very little gender reveal, right, for this plant. I was so excited. <laughs> Upon closer inspection, it sure enough did tell me what type of plant my little plant was, and it, it was a fake succulent. So for two and a half months, I'd been watering a plastic tree. And they are incredibly deceptive, okay? So you all need to go home tonight and check your trees. Just have a look underneath. Make sure it's a real thing. And I share that story. It's a ridiculous story, but I share that story to demonstrate the plight of the single person. That what's actually going on under the surface of a lot of singles is this frustration and the, the, this disappointment that our lives haven't actually gone according to the plan that we would have thought they would have gone. And we deal with these internal struggles, this internal wrestle with God on a daily basis for some of us. And yet often the wrestle isn't just internally, right? Often the wrestle is also externally. Think with me, you know, if you're a 90s baby or, or, or 2000s maybe, what type of movies we watched growing up? What did they end with, those three little words? Happily ever after. 
From a young person, I was conditioned to believe that the meaning of my life was to end up in this happily ever after moment. That I was conditioned to believe by watching the fairy tales and reading the stories and, you know, watching the movies. Does anyone like La La Land? I hate that movie, right? That, A, I hate musicals. Who else is not a fan of musicals? Thank you. Everybody's hand should be up. So, so awkward and so weird. I'm like, I don't want to watch you singing to each other for three hours. No, thank you. But the reason I actually don't like La La Land is because the, the story doesn't go as I've been conditioned to believe it should go. That the main characters should end up happily ever after. And we know that's not the story of La La Land or Edward Scissorhands. Johnny Depp just wanted to be loved. I'm like, dude, what the heck? Anyway, so we've been conditioned as young people to believe that the meaning of our life is marriage, this happily ever after moment. So now as single people, not only do we have this internal struggle, but we also have these external pressures that are coming towards us that are saying, hey, your life isn't quite complete if you haven't yet gotten married. Think about the biggest party that you will ever get thrown in your whole life. It is your wedding day, right? We are conditioned to believe that the meaning, the, the, the climax of our life is when we become two, to become one, sorry. And that is the meaning of our life. But my major qualm is when that actually enters the church and the church soon now begins to reflect what the world is saying and that is that your life only has meaning and reaches the pinnacle of what life is when you become married and again not throwing city point under the bus let's throw elevation it seems like a good <laughs> scapegoat tonight think about how many series or how many people teach on singleness Think about what type of heroes or role models are put in front of us on the stage. Think about what type of conversations that you as single people have to endure. Have you met anyone yet? Have you thought about online dating? Have you met my stepbrother? He's really cute, doesn't follow the Lord, but really cute, right? Like think about the topics of conversations that come our way. And can I propose tonight, City Point Redcliffe, that just maybe we've made an idol out of marriage in the church. And we promote and we put in front of people this thing and say, this is the meaning of your life. Marry someone godly, live a happy life, have lots of kids, serve God together. And I want to say tonight, I don't buy that anymore. That's actually not the storyline that I find in Scripture. And so I want us to embark just really quickly tonight on a journey of understanding through two witnesses in Scripture what actually God's heart for the single person really is. So let's go together to the life of Jesus because I think that's a really good place to start. Let me give you a little Bible history recap if you're new tonight. I'll catch you up to speed, okay? So in Genesis, we see that God creates the world and He sends back and He says, whoa, it's very good. Right, so the world and creation is very good from the get-go. But then we see in Genesis chapter 3 that, that sin comes in through a serpent who we know to be Satan, and he tempts humanity. He tempts Eve, and Eve eats of the fruit and offers it to her husband, Adam. And in this moment, this thing called sin comes in and it fractures humanity's relationship with their creator, God. In an instant, the unity and the love and the relationship that God the Creator had with His creation was disrupted and it was fractured because of this thing called sin. 
And yet the good news that we sung about tonight is that God had a plan. And, you know, a couple of thousand years later, we see God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to reconcile humanity back to God the way that it was always meant to be. But the really significant thing here is not what happens that Jesus comes, but how he comes. Catch this. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, comes as a baby, a crying, pooping baby, born in a manger. Not only that, Jesus, God in the flesh, works as a carpenter, a builder, And then not only that, but he lives his life as a single man for all of his days until he dies on a cross bearing the weight of human sin in order to restore humanity back into relationship with God. And then he rises again from the dead three days later and ascends into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. What a beautiful story. And this is the story, the Christian story that we all gather around on evenings like this. But what I want to draw your attention to tonight, my friends, is that Jesus, the Son of God, was a single man. That God the Father, in His divine wisdom, chose singleness for God the Son. Therefore, that would suggest to us tonight that singleness is actually quite a sufficient relationship status if God Himself chose it for His life on earth. We see that God came as a man, but not just any man, a single man, and that in his singleness, he lived a perfect, sinless life. Catch that. He had sexual desires. He was tempted in every way that we attempted, and yet it says that he lived a perfect, sinless life. Hello, somebody. And then it goes on to say that in his singleness, he not only lives a complete life, but he had lack for nothing. It was paramount that Jesus was complete in every way so that he could make that sacrifice for us. He wasn't insufficient. He wasn't incomplete. He wasn't lacking anything. And he was single. Heck, we need to get a hold of this tonight because as single people, we've been believing a very different narrative about our lives, that we are missing something, that innately there is something that's that's not yet happened for our completeness in life. And that's just not true. In his singleness, he lived a meaningful life and fulfilled his calling. Guess what? You as a single person can fulfill your calling. God is not waiting to bring you a spouse before you can step into your destiny and step into what you're called to do. In Jesus' singleness, he lived a relationally rich life. Newsflash, you don't have to be lonely as a single person. Jesus wasn't. He surrounded himself with relationships and people who were following God together. So not only do we see that Jesus' life is an example of the sufficiency of singleness, but we also see him teach on it. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 22, and it's also going to be on the screen. Jesus says this. He says that for when the dead rise... They will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like angels in heaven. So let me just paraphrase this for you. Jesus is being tested by religious leaders and they're questioning him on whose wife is going to have her in eternity and so forth. And his response is simply, 
you're not going to be married in heaven to each other. What a dumb question, right? And he just, he just silences them. And what he's getting at is this, and this is profound. And when I learned this, has changed my life. Earthly marriage here in this life, the little ring that you're wearing if you're married, uh, is but a picture of the perfect marriage that every Christian is going to enjoy in heaven one day. Catch If you've ever wondered what the meaning of marriage is, this is it. The meaning of marriage is that you would be a demonstration of the perfect marriage that God is going to have with his church, his bride, in eternity forever. Which is such an encouragement to those of us who are single or to those of us who are in a difficult marriage. That Jesus says, you're not going to be married to one another in heaven. Why? Because you're actually going to be married to me forever. And this is really, really good news. There's a book called Every Moment Holy. And in this book, it's just this um, compilation of beautiful prayers. It's actually an app, so I'd recommend it. But it says this, um, as it prays for your marriage, it describes marriage as a oneness that is an echo, a seed, and a play upon a stage portraying the promise of union with Christ that is to come. Isn't that beautiful? So here we see that Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching shows us not only the sufficiency of singleness, but also the meaning of marriage. The marriage just points to the greater marriage that is to come, which you as a single person or as a married person, we're, we're all going to enjoy together with God forever. This is really good news. Let's go to the second witness tonight, and that is the life of the Apostle Paul, okay? So we've looked at Jesus, now we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he actually gives, he dedicates a lot of his writing to unpacking this issue, right, of singleness. And he he writes this in chapter 7, verses 6 through to 8. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am talking about him in his singleness state. But each has his own gift from God. Can you say gift from God? This is really important, gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. Now he's talking about singleness and marriage. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. He then goes on to explain in verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Heck, I'm engaged and, and it's anxious, right? Planning a wedding, I'm like, everybody's welcome. I don't care, just come. I don't, I don't have a guest list, right? He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The bottom line is this, Paul's theology on singleness is that singleness is a gift from God Because singleness secures your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Paul's theology, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, read it for yourself. His theology on singleness is that singleness is a gift from the Lord because it secures your undivided devotion to the Lord. I felt this, Jed will testify. There have been times where I've sat in the car and literally wept, not because he's upset me or he said something or we're having a fight, I've wept because I'm like, I feel like I'm breaking up with God. And he's like, you're crazy. I'm like, I know. But there really is this grief of stepping out of singleness when your whole singleness has been devoted to devotion with God and then beginning to share your life with another, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, they're both gifts from God, right? They're both just different. That if you're single, you can be completely devoted, mind, body, and soul unto the Lord. That you have margin to spend in ministry and margin to spend in devotion with God. So looking at the life and the teaching of Jesus and looking at the teaching of the Apostle Paul and and summing this up into one sentence, hopefully, that we can learn to be the theology of singleness. It's this right here, my friends. Because marriage is not the meaning of your life, singleness is not a problem to be solved, but is a gift to be embraced. Let me say that again. Because marriage is not the meaning of our lives, Singleness is then not a problem to be solved, but it's actually a gift to be embraced. It's a gift to be embraced. Now, I know in sharing this, it's still lacking, right? Like it sounds really good in theory. You're like, yes, yes, I see this from Jesus. I see this from Paul. It sounds really good, but I still have questions. And lucky for you, I've got eight minutes to answer those, okay? So question number one, which we so often have, is this right here. Didn't God say it's not good for a man to be alone? And as single people who are feeling a little bit lonely or a little bit frustrated at God, we start quoting scripture back to the guy who wrote it. We're like, but in your word, it says this. And I want to answer that question and say, I've asked this as well, but I want to answer that question and say this, that when God says that in Genesis 2, 18, he says, huh, it's actually not good that Adam's alone. I'm gonna make him a helper who's fit for him. What God is doing here in this moment is he's actually describing something. He's not prescribing something. It's significant that we catch this in in all of scripture, that he's not prescribing a spouse, a one-size-fits-all approach to every single human who would ever live on the earth, but he is actually describing something important to the human makeup and nature, and that is that we are communal beings, that we are made in the image of a communal God. Do you know this? You are made in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God himself is a community. And when he says, let us make man in our image, he's making us in the image of a communal God, meaning in your DNA, you bleed community. So when God says it's not good for man to be alone, that still stands. It's not good for you to be alone. But the tricky bit is, is when we want God to answer this need for our lives by giving us a spouse. And we have to do what Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he do? He gets on his knees and he prays and he says, Father, I pray that this cup would pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is the posture of a single person. God, I pray for a spouse. That's what I delight in and desire, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
We must bow our knees to the will of God as single people and not try to arm wrestle God to get what we want. We're going to lose every time. We must bow our knee and say the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is the posture of the Christian life. If we don't like it, we've got to get used to it. There is no other way. The second question that we ask as single people is this question right here. Uh, but singleness doesn't feel like a gift. Who's thought that before? No one, just my fiance. Great. <laughs> You're welcome, baby. So excited. All right. So can we skip this or maybe I'll answer, I'll just talk to you. Singleness doesn't feel like a gift. And I know there are people in the room, whether you put your hand up or not, and you feel this. Unless you really like being alone on a Saturday night by yourself while all your other married friends are out there having fun, right? Singleness doesn't always feel like a gift. Going to a wedding alone, not a gift. That doesn't feel nice. Cooking a lasagna for one doesn't feel like a gift. Talking to your dog because there's nobody else who wants to talk to you, not a gift, right? Messaging every friend you can find in your friends list, you want to hang out tonight and they're all busy, not a gift, right? Singleness can be hard. And to this question, I will give you this answer. So often what we do as single people is, is we compare the lows of our gift to the highs of the other gift. And we say, I'm lonely. Man, they're just busy hanging out with their best friend all the time. Meanwhile, married people are going, heck, I would just love some alone time, <laughs> right? And, and what married people tend to do is they start comparing the lows of their gift to the highs of the single person who's constantly on holidays, getting to do whatever the heck they want, getting to spend whatever they want to do, right? We need to realize both, as Paul says, are gifts from God. Both are gifts from God. And we need to embrace the gift that God has given us in every season of our lives. So what are the gifts of singleness? Well, I could list many, many things, but primarily we see that singleness gives us margin. Singleness gives us margin to spend on ministry with God and devotion to God. And th those are the two big gifts of singleness. I don't have time to unpack that, but predominantly those are the two big gifts that singleness gives us. So that's the second FAQ. The third and final frequently asked question of a single person is this right here. So what am I meant to do with my sexual desires? And I wanna affirm this question. This is a brilliant question to ask. And I'm so glad that we're asking a question like that. When I lived in America, I, you know, you go over, I didn't know anyone I was going over because God told me to move to America and do ministry. So as a silly 21 year old, I was like, YOLO, let's go. And I love that just obedience that young people have, right? Got over there and like had nothing, didn't know anyone. I was like, this is a little bit scary. I ended up buying a lemon of a car, okay, a Jeep. Don't know if you like Jeeps, but I now don't like Jeeps because it would break down every second day. It was a gas guzzler. And I'd just be like, I don't know what to do. I've bought this lemon. I've got no more money left. Anyways, as God does, God came through and he actually um, allowed this little story of my terrible car uh, to be told to the pastor of the church that I was working at. And the pastor called me into his office one day and he said, Stacey, I've heard about your situation with your car. If my daughter was ever a missionary in a faraway country, I would want her to have a reliable car. So I'm gonna buy you a car. I was like, what? You wanna buy me a car? He goes, yeah, I'm giving you 15 grand. Go to the car yard, buy whatever you want. I was bawling. I was like, God, you're so good. Wow. 
Next minute, I'm walking around the car yard going, do, do I want an SUV? Do I want a big truck? Like, what's the flashiest car I can buy for 15 grand? I'm like test driving all these really cool like cars that had done like, you know, 300,000 kilometers. And I had this realization. I was like, he's given me 15 grand to buy a car that's gonna be reliable and cheap on gas. Therefore, I need to buy a car that is actually gonna honor the intent of the giver. Now, this is extremely important when it comes to our sexuality. Sexuality is a gift that God has given us. We are sexual beings, and this is an incredibly good thing. It's part of who we are. However, we have to use our sexuality in a way that honors the intent of the giver of the gift. That God gives us this gift, and as we know, there are so many people who snatch that gift and go and do all the crazy things with it, and God's like, that wasn't my intent when I gave that gift to you. My intent for sexuality, it was as that it would be used as a gift within marriage to bond you to your spouse and to produce other life. And that is the intent of the gift of sexuality. Therefore, when singles like me ask this question, but what the heck am I meant to do now with my sexuality? That's a great question to ask. Because even in that question, we are seeking to honor the intent of the giver of the gift. So in response to that question, I would simply say that we can live without sex. Jesus did it. Many saints have done it. Many Christians in this room have done it. We can live without sex, but we cannot live without intimacy. Now, catch this. Intimacy isn't found in sex. You just need to go to Service Paradise and walk around, and you will learn that very quickly, right? Intimacy is not actually always found in sex. It can be. Hopefully is in marriage. We can find intimacy in close friendships with people who know us truly, not in a sexual way, but deeply, intimately, personally, know us from the inside out, know our thoughts, know our mind, know our hopes, our dreams, our deepest fears. This is what intimacy looks like. We can live without sex, but we cannot live without intimacy. And the other thing I would say to this is there is currently an idol in our culture and it's called sexual fulfillment that your life is not complete until you've had these sexual experiences. And friends, I wanna tell you, we don't bow at that altar. We don't worship that God. We worship a God, His name is Jesus. He lived as a celibate, single man. Therefore, the idol of sexual fulfillment does not rule my life. It does not call the shots. I have this gift from God. Maybe one day I'll have the opportunity to use it. Maybe not. In the meantime, how about we grow in self-control? How about we grow in virtue? How about we grow in holiness? That yes, if I can't operate and use this gift the way that it's used in marriage, that's okay. God has other plans for it. God has other plans for me that I would grow in all these other things, right? This is the good news of sexuality, is that we can live without sex, but we cannot live without intimacy. And so bottom line, I wanna say this to you before I hop off the stage, it says, don't make marriage the meaning of your life. Don't make marriage the meaning of your life. It's not the meaning of your life, which then begs the question, well, what is the meaning of our life? Friends, the meaning of our life is not that we would find satisfaction in marriage or even satisfaction in singleness. The meaning of our lives is that we would find satisfaction in Christ. It's actually what we were made for. That when God created humanity, He, he created us with the intent that He would have relationship with kids who loved Him. 
The meaning of your existence, the meaning of your life is that you would be satisfied in Christ, that you would find your sufficiency in God. In Him is the fullness of joy. In Him is your best friend. In Him is your spouse for all eternity. Christ is the answer. Not a happy marriage and not a fulfilled single life, right? Satisfaction in Christ is what we've been called to. So what I would love to do is share a quick quote from a saint, because why not? St. Augustine says this, because you've made us for yourself, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. So what I would love to do as I close is I would love to pray with you that you would find your rest in God. Whatever your relationship status currently is, is, is this not the, the journey of every person that we would learn how to find our rest in God? that we would learn to go to God for our sufficiency and for all things. And a quick encouragement that if you are married, a couple of really practical things that you can do is to welcome and embrace single people into your life. Please don't ask them who they're currently dating. Ask them what they're doing in, in their job. Ask them what their hopes and dreams are. Don't throw them an engagement party, but throw them a promotion party or a, hey, you just bought a house party. Find another reason to throw a party, right? Have them over for dinner. Let them watch you like yell at your kids or put your kids to bed or whatever. We actually wanna be welcomed into a family setting. Some of us don't wanna hang out with kids who've just finished high school, right? Because they're the only single ones left. We actually wanna be a part of people's lives and families. So it's important that if you're married that you learn how to embrace people because this is the village of God.